0: Hey y'all, you're listening to diagnosing sitcoms and movies, the DSM Podcast. We help make mental health more comfortable by using black movies and shows we know and love and culture to remove stigma. So join our convo with your host, Courtney Copeland, licensed mental health counselor. And Dr. B, licensed professional counselor. Hey, Rosie? Hey girl, hey, I'm so excited. Why are you so excited? because this episode we're talking about boys in the hood and I know I say this a lot but this like for real for real is one of my favorite most favorite movies of all times I I see because you got the whole setup uh with the plaid and the hoodie right now <laughs> I'm ready button it up at the top like a real LA <laughs> yeah so why is this your favorite movie um well I think just personally, I grew up as an only child for a very long time. And so lots of time was spent me chilling by myself watching this movie on VHS. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Just be honest. <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's like the the clinician in me that's like a child should not see this movie. And then the fact that like this is one of your favorite, and you turned out okay. But I definitely don't think that this was an age appropriate movie (laughs) Um, because, as always, I put in context as to what year I was when this movie came out. And I was one years old. (laughs) So I can imagine you watching this as a child at like six, seven, maybe eight years old. And it's still not appropriate. (laughs) So what was what was it that that made it your favorite part? Like, what what were some things that were your favorite? Really, I just appreciate it. And I think this is some of the feedback that the movie got overall was just the honesty of the movie. Um, I felt that the characters were very, like, realistic. And so I could see real life people behaving the way that... And like in their conversations and the decisions that they made and some of the just day to day, like regular, like when they would be in a car on the porch, just having regular conversations. Those are my Mm -hmm. favorite because that's what I like to do. I like to just chill and have like real conversations about what if God was a woman, the sun, the sun, the moon, the quasars and all that stuff (laughs) like Ice Cube said. Like, it was just real honest. And I think that uh, John Singleton did a great job of making the characters very relatable, um, very realistic. He used a lot of context from his own personal life in writing the film. And I feel like it comes across very well. And it's, it's a well-written movie. It's a well-directed movie. The actors acted the hell out of all of their parts. Um, I just appreciate it so much. It's so great. And it had Ice Cube. Ice Cube was that dope. Wait, didn't he, like, side with Trump on something recently? I'm talking about 1991 Ice Cube. I am not talking about 2020. I don't know what's going on. All right. Because right now he acted like an African beauty scratcher. (laughs) (laughs) So many, like, uh, kids that I know that grew up, like, either their parents are from Africa or they immigrated from Africa, said that they were called African booty scratcher. And so I was so like intrigued to ask my mom, I was like, did it come from that movie? She said, no, girl, we were saying African booty scratcher when I was a kid. I don't know where it came from. (laughs) Listen, that is like one of the worst terms ever. (laughs) You know, especially like when you think about it from a multicultural, like perspective, you know, Mm -hmm. you get there and it's like, damn, that's very culturally insensitive and inappropriate mm-hmm. but that was i remember saying that as a kid at one point several points <laughs> in my childhood um but anyway so having a booty scratcher um that whole little scene at the beginning with with him as uh with trey as a as a kid was was actually kind of funny <laughs> I loved it Like And was, was that part Was like He's like I ain't African You African You African booty scratcher But like what's, Y'all are friends And like They got into a whole Like serious argument Like and now you from Africa I'm from Africa You from Africa You African booty scratcher <laughs> Quiet Punk oh I kick your ass It's not from just being ha ha ha. And then he was like, "I'll get my brother, shoot you in the face. Get your punk ass brother, bitch. I get my daddy. least I got one, motherfucker." Right? I ain't your bitch, (laughs) and your bitch, enough. Ain't nobody's bitch, bitch. (laughs) Wow, that just got real. Like, it went zero to (laughs) sixty, like real quick. Like, I was like, wow. So, um, that was that whole scene was like that little whole uh, dialogue between them, that argument <laughs> is a quotable within itself. Um, <laughs> so there's that. And then of course I I wouldn't be me if I didn't like the, the most important quotable is the very first quote in the beginning of the movie. Um, and that is. Let me hear what you think that is. Cause I'm probably going to differ. Go ahead. The very first quote in the movie. It literally is one out of every 21 black males will be murdered will be murdered in their lifetime mm-hmm. that was the very first quote in this movie Then the second quote is most will die at the hands of another black man so immediately when I saw the first quote of one out of every 20 black males will die will be murdered in their lifetime I'm like mm-hmm, by a police officer and then like Two seconds later, it was like, most will die at the hands of another black man. And I was like, oh, yeah, that that, that part too. And then um, I noticed that I paid attention, especially more this time watching the movie, um, to the black officer and his demeanor. Officer Coffee with his bitch ass. Right. So I'm not going to even get into that because I know we're going to go through the movie, but yeah. those those are some of my quotables. So I'm going to let you I'm going to shut up and let you go and do yours. No, I definitely I definitely appreciate the one that you just named. Um, And I think that John Singleton did such a good job. Like, I feel like Boys in the Hood had such a message behind it. Like they even had the whole increase the peace movement that came along with the movie. Right. Um, in like a bunch of other films that came along after Boys in the Hood, trying to like recreate that same energy. They didn't have that message. Uh, they just were like stories of struggle, pain and trauma. Um, but Boys in the Hood like starts off after it's, it lists those quotes, it shows the stop sign and it zooms in on it. Like stop all that shit, stop all this bullshit. Like, yeah, this is going on, but we need to stop. Um, and I uh, to me, that felt almost like a a Spike Lee wake up moment like it started with that and so I really appreciated that I thought that that was cool um but again I'm a goofball so (laughs) and in just dark humor (laughs) so my first quote is also from the beginning of the movie but again because I watched this movie as a kid like I always knew like when it was coming on the first thing that I hear is they shot my brother they shot my brother I don't know why that's my first quote but I didn't feel pain in it when I hear it. I'm always like, it's time for Boys in the Hood. <laughs> oh my God. I'm like, Wait, let's I'm, get started. They shot my brother, I'm ready. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting that that's the, that's the mood that you get because I'm like, oh shit, this is about to be sad. And I'm like, I go into a sad place. I don't I don't mm. get excited with, with these types of movies because it's just, it's sad to me. But go mm-hmm. ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh going back to yes when when they were kids and um he was like they were looking at the the crime scene and the boy said something smart to the little girl she was like at least I know my times tables. I was like, Yes, yes girl, let him know that he's a dumb little boy. She let but, these boys talk to you however you know your times tables, you're gonna go further in life because you can multiply. <laughs> listen, that is a very important. Uh, Mathematical technique. (laughs) She had the clap. I I have too many quotables (laughs) because I have like a whole list. Um, I like when Furious is talking to Trey about using condoms, and he's like, "I don't understand why you insist on learning things the hard way, Trey, but you're gonna learn. Oh yeah, you're gonna learn." (laughs) (laughs) He missed that. Uh, yes yeah yeah um and it was interesting because that that was a uh a quotable listed where he was like uh peeling will keep your dick from falling off and that's it see (laughs) another good uh furious quotable is uh when he is talking to the to the boys and actually the neighborhood um about gentrification <laughs> he's like I know every time you turn on a TV that's what you see black oh, yeah. people yeah. selling the rock right. pushing the rock yeah. pushing the rock yeah I know <laughs> and old man is like yep hmm yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> instigating right. oh, instigating <laughs> and then there were a couple that I just liked the way they sounded when I was little but I was little so I couldn't say them like I couldn't repeat it so now I use them regularly in my in my just regular life do share. People say hello. I say, "What up, nigga?" <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> Regina King just made it sound so cool. What up, nigga? <laughs> okay. And then, now. um when they are about to seek revenge on the um, the other group, the other gang, when they say, "Turn off lights." Hit the lights, nigga. (laughs) And the other group is at the table and he's like, why you putting all that ketchup on your fries? Why you worried about it, fool? My fries. (laughs) (laughs) He did say that with hella pride. These are my fries. (laughs) And then um, when they start shooting at them and they take off running and he say, don't follow me, man. Go your own way. I said, this is not a game of hide and seek. Like, that is... (laughs) Right, (laughs) because again, I'm a child, so my mind goes to when do I say that? I say that during hide and seek. Apparently, (laughs) you also say it when you're dodging bullets. (laughs) Wow, wow! I have a question. Mm. Who's your favorite character in the whole film? My favorite character in the whole film it is Furious Styles. Hmm. Yes. If I, if, if I could pick a dad that I would want to have, it would be Furious Styles. As a matter of fact, I think I'm going to name my dog Furious once I get one. Do it. Come That's here, Furious. That- Come here. <laughs> but I love it. I love that name. But I love, I love his character. Like, mm-hmm. He was the best character for me. And Lawrence Fishburne said that he he does get recognized a lot for that film and that people like started looking at him in that role. And he said that uh, he was having a conversation and he realized like that he basically through this film became a father figure for an entire generation. Oh, listen. Yes. More than a generation for as long as this movie is out, because I mean, just the way he parented, you know, and the in the first few scenes that you did see, you know, baby Trey and um mm-hmm. like the little moment where they're, you know, at the ocean front and you know, he's like, you know, have you ever he's talking about sex with him. Mm-hmm. And um it's so interesting because the the conversations surrounding sex in the black uh household sometimes it, it doesn't sound like that. It, or they're like, non existent. They're not or they're not just non- don't. Right, just don't. <laughs> um, and so I think it was really positive to see like understanding and talk about sex and diseases mm-hmm. because even the conversation with with Duki, right, like him talking about you know, well, I get head from from I just get head from them, and they like you can get HIV from getting head, and he's like for real. <laughs> so you know, just like instances like that you know, just helps like I just I like the message. Like you said, there are so many layers of messages and mm-hmm. and you know things to take away from this movie. And that was one of them. But especially just seeing how um Trey Styles went about I mean Trey Styles, uh I mean I guess his name Furious right. No, oh. Fur- Furious Furious Styles okay. uh went about talking about sex with his son continuously. It wasn't a one time topic, which is so important because you, know? you had that conversation one time. A child possibly might not remember that, but it seems like he was really instilling stuff like when he was basically giving him the rules to live by, kind of like yes. it was it was something yeah. that Trey was able to repeat back to him. Look a man in his eye. He'll respect you more because of that. Like he was listing things that you could tell that Furious had taught to him about multiples. T- Furious was such a good dad. He was such he was. a good dad. And like talk, the talks about sex, like his just role as a parent and him sharing his experiences with Trey, because, you know, sometimes parents can not want to be honest with their children because they feel like, well, if I tell them too much and they might not respect me or I'm ashamed of these things, so I don't want to share them with my child. And or he was they're very honest. <laughs> yeah, he was very honest with Trey. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was just so awesome. Furious was awesome. He was. He was like the best. and. um, I also feel like with him as a father figure, um, kinda I like he said, like he and he is a father to a lot of people in this generation or the mm-hmm. the next generation. But also I think he makes a point. I think the movie makes a point that it's important to have a father figure in the household. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's, you know, even with the like the subliminals of, well, at least I got my daddy or, you know, and stuff like that. And so it's just like it's At least so I got too. one motherfucker. <laughs> right. <laughs> Or like, you know, as soon as he said the the three principles, you know, and the next scene, you know, um, oh, my God. Doughboy. Doughboy. Yeah, Doughboy and Chris are in the police car. Mm-hmm. And the second one is uh, there's no need for there's no reason for you to steal. There's never a reason for you to steal. And so and they, that's what they went in for. And then I hurt my heart because then I was like, that's where it is, is you know, the criminalization of little black boys. Mm mm-hmm. I don't know how you get happy when you watch this movie. I just was like, "Mm." because it brings to life all of these, it it brings to life all of these concepts. Like, um, where the, the breakdown of the of the family, he's saying like, I'm just trying to teach you how to be, respons- be responsible. Like your friends across the street, they don't have nobody to teach right. them that. And so they do end up in those situations where it is the over-criminalization of those Black boys, the failing education system where they're in the class still learning about pilgrims and Indians. And that is not the story of Thanksgiving. It is inaccurate. And also she's talking about squash. Black and brown people don't eat squash on Thanksgiving anyway. So like she's just, and then she has her arms folded showing terrible body language that she doesn't want to be there. and She's closed off to her children. She does not sound enthusiastic or excited about being there. And I feel like it was almost it's almost dangerous to have true knowledge because Trey had a father who talked to him, told him the truth, said that we all come from Africa because we do. And like she was threatened by him having additional information. She was threatened by him knowing more than what she was teaching out of that book. And so was trying to be funny by have him come up to the class and teach the class. But he really actually gave them a jewel. All right, does anybody know what the name of this place is? That's Africa. I know that. That's right. That's Africa. But did you know that Africa is the place where the body of the first man was found? It's almost just as dangerous to have knowledge as it is to 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 lack it. Because either way you will be attacked. Okay. i'm still excited about the movie (laughs) i feel it i feel it my favorite character because i am an ignorant fool is dookie i love dookie he is a hot mess it is so hilarious to me i just like his hair he's cute (laughs) <laughs> he was not cute. He was goofy looking to me, but <laughs> he was so cute. I was like, oh, he cute, but he didn't take out that pacifier. Mm-mm. Girl, when Trey came and sat next to him, and he offered, and he Trey offered the it. Girl, I swear I never noticed that he did that. See it every time. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what his response was like, because I feel like that was not in the script. That wasn't. <laughs> He looked at it and it looked at him like, boy, get that on my face. Caught it on film. It was genius. (laughs) That is so funny. That was, was it's just so many small, subtle stuff. Like, yes, it's gross that he might be out here getting dope pet pussy and not know that he um, can potentially get catch aids from allowing people to, you know, give him. He said, you really catch age from letting him suck your dick? Yes, I'm glad he had friends who cared about him enough to tell him the truth. Um, but if you look at like even the pictures that they have where they're chilling on the porch, Chris is sitting on the stairs um, and Dookie is sitting in his wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't remember that. Dookie just, I uh, just, he just gives me so much humor. He's just so I just love it. <laughs> <laughs> Makes my heart full. We all need that level of ignorance, just sprinkled throughout our days. I guess you're right. I guess you're right. <laughs> Chris, Chris was Chris was annoyed to me because it was just like he's rolling around and like runs up, rolls up to the curb and he's like, hey, kick this. And it's just like. If you don't stay over, where are you? Why? You see how he bounced down them steps? Uh-uh, uh-uh, this uh-uh, is family business. business. <laughs> Let him fight. Let him fight. <laughs> I'm just like, stay your know. ass over there. <laughs> well, no, but wait. When, the, when they think it's about to be a drive fight, and they say, uh-uh, pick Chris ass up. Who's them niggas? Man, pick Chris up. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> Why? I'd be like, bro, retire, just retire, <laughs> retire from the streets, let it go. He was like the actor who played Chris. Um, mm-hmm. actually, really was a uh, paraplegic. Well, mm-hmm. paraplegic. Um, he had actually really caught a stray bullet. Um, it was lost the um sensation in his legs, so he mm-hmm. was playing that part. wasn't acting. It Was true to life. Well, and so to me, I'm just like, if I if I ever come across someone that's still in that life and they are like disabled because of their lifestyle and they go back to said lifestyle I'm just gonna be like when when are you gonna let it go but is it is it is it his lifestyle if it was a straight bullet and then there's so much like foreshadowing and I think it's so smart like um at the very beginning when Doughboy and Chris are walking away because uh Trey has to break the leaves Mm. Doughboy is walking and Chris is like pushing like on his knee, pushing on the thing, on the skateboard. And I I was like, yeah, is that because he later grows up to be in a wheelchair? Oh, and then he says later on, he said, both of my brothers got shot and they still alive. And he said, yeah, they lucky. And so like all that means that all three of them, him and his other two brothers are Victims of gun violence—that they all got shot and then they continued to live. So it was like so much foreshadowing. They all got shot and then Chris got shot, but he still lives. He's pushing on that skateboard and then ends up in a wheelchair. I was like, hey, what you did there, John Singleton." Hmm, I never looked at it that way. And I remember thinking to myself, like, "Yeah, I used to ride the skateboard like Chris." Cause I was scared to fall. <laughs> so I, the closer I was to the ground, the better. <laughs> just roll over off of it. Oh, <laughs> I hurt myself. <laughs> so, but anyway, um, wow. I didn't. I didn't think about that part. But I think to me, like I would think that having that experience, that it would cause some type of. It would be. A, it's a traumatic experience that I think that someone would want to be away from that environment and not be so much drawn into it. So whether it was like a stray or whether it was actually being involved in gang or gun violence to go back into that neighborhood and then somewhat kind of like, just like thrive in the life, like, you know, like the, the life of being a, like a stoop boy. Would you, would you feel like, <laughs> I almost feel like there was almost a certain level of normalcy of it to him so that it was comfortable like if you know that all your brothers got shot and then you got shot then that's just what it is and then too like they had when they were walking before he asked them if they wanted to see the dead body he was like um my brother I got a deuce deuce my brother gave it to me before he went to county it's, it's loaded, too. loaded like that's yeah. the opposite of how children should handle firearms but there's just cert- a certain level of normalcy that comes along with um having guns, holding guns, people being shot, like to where it might not cause that level of separation, that or he might not feel like he needs that level of separation from it because it's just what happens to people. But still, but still, it's like the the trauma is, is being taught. So then that kind of goes into that post-traumatic slave syndrome where the trauma is still being taught, that oppressive trauma is still being taught to us. Yeah, I definitely, I don't, I didn't count it so much as the post-traumatic slave syndrome, but I did (laughs) diagnose like the entire neighborhood as having acute stress disorder. Like everyone who is experiencing all of these things is going to have a certain level of Mm -hmm. reaction to it because it's not normal. People aren't made to have to withstand this much of just chronic things happening back to back to back. And so I diagnosed the whole neighborhood, all of South Central LA (laughs) as having acute stress disorder just because of the situations, the circumstances that they were forced to live in with all of the violence, the crime, the poverty level, the constant um, surveillance by the helicopters and the police officers, the drive-by shootings that was happening, like all of that together. I just diagnosed the whole neighborhood with acute stress disorder. (laughs) That's big facts, and then also one of the things that I realized what what John Singleton did with this movie, um, where it showed the lifestyle of um, Doughboy, and then in, in comparison to the lifestyle of, of Ricky, you know, mm-hmm. and you know the day and what they had to go through, and then what Ricky and his day had to go through, um, and so and then also so it seemed as if uh, well it didn't seem. Ricky and Trey were in school, they were preparing to take the SATs, you know, and so I think that's why, to me, I value education the way I do, because it seemed as if, like, there was only two options. It was either the streets or education, right? And so then I chose I chose education, and then within education, at least I was lucky to, to be able to like school or enjoy school. Whereas some people don't have that that type of passion, and so like maybe someone like Ricky, for example, would find passion and wanting to go to school for football and sports and extracurricular activities, and so that's what keeps them active and do, doing well in school. And so to me, it feels like Doughboy he fell out of the pipeline. They call it a pipeline and and higher to higher learning. And so when you look at that pipeline and you and you look as if it's like a road. Uh, you know, Ricky He fell I mean, out of that one and fell into the to the prison yeah, pipeline. He fell into the prison pipeline with Do- for Doughboy, you know. And then Ricky unfortunately fell into the other pipeline of being dead, you know, and so like to me, it's like the life of a black person or a black man in America is just like, you know, you only have one, like one or two options. You know, and even if you go, you do take it, get get on the right path or you take the right path, somehow, some way, something could just fuck it up. And you get you're dead because you're black because you live in a community where they like to kill for fun. Like that shit is fucked up. Like you you're you're at a disadvantage in comparison to every other culture just by being born in a certain neighborhood. You know, so. And the realism expressed in the film is why I love it. Oh, my goodness. Like, I think this is probably one of like a film that I would definitely watch with my teenager. Yeah, let's watch this together. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of lessons. (laughs) President Bill Clinton said that he will want children. In these neighborhoods to watch it because of the honesty, the violence isn't glamorized. it's portrayed in an ugly in an ugly, hurtful way. And so he said that he would want kids from these neighborhoods to watch it and see the need for for like the realism that was expressed in the movie and and all of that. So, oh, I just got an idea, so I'm about to ask to teach a substance abuse course because I would actually use this film and have students do a diagnosis, but from, you know, a substance abuse, uh, like, perspective. Um, Because then, again, the same concept, like, okay, so, uh, Chris got shot, um, but he didn't go, he didn't go to jail, right? He didn't have to, he was rehabilitated in a way for his body physically, but not rehabilitated, you know, for going back out and being able to have a job, an actual job. So, maybe he was actually selling drugs, right? And so, Then you see, then you have the the mother who's down the block letting her kid run down the street and offering to suck dick for said drugs in this neighborhood. Got some blow, got some rock. (laughs) I suck your dick. (laughs) Yo, no, at the end of the movie, when Cube was like, get the fuck out of my face. I said, oh, he mean that shit. Oh, bitch, you better go. You better get the fuck up out of there. Yeah. So I, <laughs> but he just served the other feed like right before it's just bitch, you picked the wrong time. The wrong not, time. Not right he ta- now. He was talking about his brother and he was upset. Just, bitch, not not the fuck right now. But the um, point that I make it is that, you know, I feel like um it is relevant to talk about this from a like a, a substance a, like substance behavioral health perspective. Because a lot of times it's assumed that some people who have drug addiction is like they chose it, and in some cases, it was already it was already like forced upon them. It wasn't a choice in some cases, you know. Um, and then their environment, their the environment that they grew up in and have to return to, is is all, it's all like connected. It's so systemic, and so I think that this would be an amazing, uh, like movie to break down systemically. You know, I and feel like the sad part pieces. is that that people don't see that already and that you have to have these films in order for some people to get it. That's the frustrating part for me. Oh, well, that's all of white America yeah that's why i don't fuck with them i really don't care what is going on with the majority culture none of that has anything to do with me i'm not doing anything (laughs) to serve them um i hope that all of my work is just for the liberation of people of color because that is what i'm concerned about and what they are doing over there has nothing to do with me and clearly they feel like it don't have i don't have what i'm doing don't have nothing to do with them neither because they act like they are blind to it and that's why um you do you over there boo i'll do what i do over here and so returning back to the movie um for this podcast for which is also for the liberation of people of color and that's why we focus on black movies um so <laughs> with all of that being said let me come back I'm sorry I almost almost went there so when furious house was getting broken too <laughs> and I guess he went back to that military training went and got his stage coach gun shot at dude pew, pew, through the door did you realize that that man ran out of his high-top chuck? how you run out of a high-top chuck? It wasn't even tied on right. Back it was a high-top. Top. How you come out of a whole high-top? that means you was really trying to get up out of there. He, high, he was high-tailing his ass up out of there. That's what he got. He high-tailed out of his high-chucks up out of there. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, I just thought that that scene, the police that 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 scene was a transition to like showing us the the dangerousness of the time with the home invasions and due to the substance abuse that was going on at the time, people were experiencing high levels of home invasion to trying to feed their habit. And so the police response that comes after that though is so poignant, and I am almost glad that Trey saw that at such a young age, so he had that understanding that. The police are not your friend. Yeah, that was about an hour ago. Whoa, we didn't ask you that. Yeah, well, I told you. Um, They might sometimes be friendly. They might come to your school and read a book every once in a while. But at the same point, they're they're not your friend. And this instance was that. And when he says, like, what's up, little man, and goes to, like, shake Trey's hand. If you're going to house, Trey, go ahead. Like, do not give the respect of this man of looking him in the eye and shaking his hand because... Something wrong? Something wrong? Yeah. It's just too bad you don't know what it is, brother. And it took them forever to get there. Like if, like how Furious said, if I did get him, he'd have been laid out here and he would have been laid out here for an hour because it took y'all that long to get here, which is just, it's, there's so much over policing, but when you actually really need them, that's when they want to take forever. Which I thought that again, Trey is learning all of these real these lessons very young. Um, the being walking going to school, he's walking to school and walks into they go see a crime scene. Mm-hmm. And so he then has to go on about his day after it's like seeing brain matter on the ground. And the that's when the blood separates from the plasma. That's why mm-hmm. it's turning yellow. Like you then have to go into a classroom and with this underpaid, terrible trash teacher who does not want to be there and try to function like I can see why they got into a fight like for a child you are going trying to go about your day and you just saw brain matter like that's not normal you are going to have that is going to come out in some way of behavior because your brain can't fully comprehend all of what it is that's going on and this is the little boy that said come on let's go see you want to see something they said what nothing I'm not telling you do you want to see it or not like Mm -hmm. so yeah you the one who showed this to me. So now, you know what? Well, yeah, I got attitude. I want to see dead body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you saw it with me. You shared in this terrible experience with me. Me and you have a problem. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely could see how that happens. And I just hate that that was, of course, because of the... Um, school-to-prison pipeline, he got suspended for that fight, which there do need to be consequences for actions because that's not how you cope with things that you're handling. But if they had had a school counselor there that could have even talked to him and said, well, I thought that you and this little boy was friends. And so then they could have had a conversation to get at why the fight started. Because, yes, you need discipline. You do need to have, he do need to probably be suspended. You can cuss the boy out in front of the whole class and beat him up <laughs> with the teacher's mm-hmm. pointer. But he also needs to know, like, this is why this fight happened. This is why it's not okay. Somebody at the school should have had that conversation with him, as opposed to the teacher just calling and saying, "Oh, are there problems in the home?" <laughs> right. That conversation was disrespectful. Let's look. I was like, and I'm glad Angela Bassett got that heifer together because that is not how you interact with the parents of the students that you're teaching. And she should have known that. And I was frustrated that she interacted with the mom like that because it did sound like at first, like, yeah, the mom is going to be mad. Her son is getting suspended. But there's Mm -hmm. a way to have that conversation. Even if you really was concerned about something going at home, there's Mm -hmm. a way to have that conversation where you're not being disrespectful or accusatory um, to this parent. Because, of course, they want what's best for their child. I was, I had questions about, like, their co-parenting on why it went from, (laughs) first of all, she did a whole behavior contract with, like, a fourth grader. She did. (laughs) Angela Bassett Mm -hmm. was like, you are a young man. You are going to behave as such. Sign this contract. And, Did you feel like Trey needed to go stay with Furious in order to be able to fully get all of the teachings that Furious had to offer? Or do you feel like they could, if they had had a stronger co-parenting relationship, that it could have been handled differently? Do you feel like he needed to go stay with Furious? I think they made the right decision. I mean, obviously him going to go see him on the weekends wasn't working and he was still having anger issues. And so I do think that, you know, um, co-parenting is more than just doing like all the weekends and doing what each parent feels like they want to have happen as far as like the the attention and time with the kid. Yeah, that's great. But then that's also a life. So you have to also remember that your selfishness of wanting that kid um, to be with you um, can also be a barrier or a, a burden to your child, you know? And so I think that them choosing to say, okay, well, he stays with me for this period of his lifetime or, you know, that actually helped him in the long run versus trying to go back and forth for years, you know, and that's tiring, that's draining. And so if you could find a system where you know that at a certain time period in a child's life, like especially developmentally, one person will be better, better suited than the other, then go for it. I feel like, but I also feel like the two of them as as individuals were very sh- very strong, educated, you know mm-hmm. people, you know, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, I don't think that that is the type of parenting that a lot of people can do. So mm. I think it also depends on the individual, their maturity, you know, yeah. and for for them to have had him at seventeen, they were pretty they were handling very. To me, maturely, mm-hmm. you know, for for their age at that time, so I, I think they did what they needed to do. I think it was the the best decision for him because I mean, not saying ugh, I, I'm, gosh, I realize how much I value education. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the fact that Trey went to Morehouse, you know, like I think that to me that's a that's a way of showing that he grew, that that was a level of success for him, you know, that mm-hmm. that was something that he was able to accomplish because he's not dead you know mm. <laughs> in comparison to everyone else he's not dead and he's not in jail so if he's in college hey great hell if he was a manager of mcdonald's hey great at least you're not fucking dead or in jail you know what i'm saying so um yeah i think Calvin's got y'all. a job y'all that's funny because that was a commercial Calvus that was got out. Got a job, y'all. <laughs> at, at that time <laughs> oh my gosh ah yes that example and for john singleton that was his out was education was going to um Mm -hmm. college that was his way of getting out um and so we're talking about trey like as as a youngster we meet him we meet his friends and see a little bit about that background history and then we fast forward seven years and we're at doughboys i guess coming home party yeah I, I, yeah, I think this is like his fourth one or something. <laughs> oh, sheesh. Well, hey, we celebrate each time you home, brother, because we still love you. As much as as mean as his mama was to him, <laughs> she still really cared about him, even though she said you ain't shit. You're just like your dad. You don't do shit and you never going to amount to shit. All you ever do around here is eat, sleep and shit. Damn. <laughs> But I, I do feel like she still did love Doughboy because like even when he got arrested, like you could tell that she was upset and she kind of spoke that into him, but she still was hurt. And so Brenda, Brenda was was a very complex woman. <laughs> she was, well, I mean, but you I still feel like she did hate him because of how she responded to his reaction with Ricky or the situation yeah. with Ricky. Yeah. You know, even with the fight, he got slapped. Why you slapping mama? Oh, what? what you hit me for? What you hit me for? Why you hit me? Yo, dope. Why she hit you? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and they, they reference it like quite a few times that she loved, um, she loved Ricky more than she loved Doe because she like Ricky Dad more than she like Dope Boy Dad. And that's not Dope Boy's fault. It's not. Dope Boy's fault. It's not. And then see, here here I go on my, let me get on my platform right quick. Okay. Here here we go. Let me help you up there. (laughs) You know, I really do feel like we have to understand pro-choice is not a bad thing because I feel like Whenever you, whenever a woman does not want to have a child, it's going to continue, like, the the whole pregnancy is going to be miserable, the child is going to come out miserable, and then anything can happen to that child, and the experience with that miserable mother is going to be there, and that child is going to have all this childhood trauma because of this miserable mother who did not want to have this child, and then you have a situation like Doughboy. And I'm not saying that that like abortion isn't out or anything like that, but there are certain situations where I'm just like, okay, let women make the decision for themselves to relieve themselves from, from things that they know in their gut is gonna mm-hmm. end up being something bad. You know what I'm saying? And I think that because there's so much stigma associated with abortions, because there's so many laws and limitations with abortions that women can't make choices that are best for themselves. Especially if you know that you don't like that motherfucker that you're about to have a child with and you you end up pregnant, and you know, you don't want that child. Listen, sis, that's your decision. I'm not, I'm just here to let you know I'm pro-choice. And I think that most people should become pro-choice because this shit is bullshit. <laughs> OK, y'all having these children out here and y'all making their lives miserable. The end, I'm going to get off my soapbox. That was very opinionated, very opinionated, but it's okay. That's my truth. I'm living <laughs> in it. <laughs> well, I can't support. I definitely feel like that people cannot be um, pro-life, but then not actually support people throughout their lives. Like, so if you're saying that this person has to have this this baby because you feel like you have some, some reason that your opinion should matter in someone else's life. I don't know why, but then you should also support the actual life that comes from it. And we should have more um, supports for people so that they can once uh, after having this child, even if it is pro-choice, if they say, you know what, I just don't believe in it myself. I want to have this baby because I don't want to, you know. Have an abortion. That's just not what I believe in. That's fine as well. There also should be more supports offered to those people so that they can have healthy, productive relationships mm-hmm. with their children and they can support mm-hmm. them and they can make sure that all of their needs are met. Um, and I don't feel like that is the case with the systems that we have in place. I don't feel like those are the um ideological beliefs of the people who say that they are pro-life. They don't support the lives that come from that embryo that they're fighting so hard to protect. Exactly. Um, exactly because yeah, so. you don't know how that child was created and where that where that where that child is coming from you know girl did you just pull me up on the soapbox with you let me get down <laughs> okay let's get let's get down together one whole hands one two three go <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay so we are coming into uh we find out that yes Dope Boy has been in and out of the the correctional uh facilities I guess the prison system industrial mm-hmm. prison complex system um mm-hmm. ricky has a baby with his in-house baby mama who has come to live with them um <laughs> mm-hmm. but so that is going on with them trey is in school when he's dating brandy and he's being a horrible boyfriend to her and then the story ensues OK, so jumping right into diagnosis, um, we'll talk more about the, the film as we talk about the different diagnosis that we have for each character. I just wanted to say that it is important to note that most of the characters portrayed in the film are still kids at this time. And even though they are experiencing like extreme situations and society often tries to adultify our children, they were still, for the most part, adolescents. So I tried to con- diagnose as such as well, um, highlighting the fact that these were still teenagers. They might have been going through some serious situations, but they were still teenagers. Um, who would you like to start with, Rosie? Dr. Rosie. Ooh. <laughs> okay. make sure I put your title. Put some respect on your name, girl. Put well, some on my name. All right. So let's start with Doughboy. Okay. Um, so I would say. Um, oppositional defiant disorder, me too. Oh, and I will also say, yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay, so yes, I also said oppositional defiant disorder, and I did have an additional one though because of um, what we saw of his mother and um, child relationship. I also diagnosed him with a uh, mild reactive attachment disorder. Mm hmm. Reactive attachment disorder, which is also sometimes referred to as uh, RADS. You may have hear, heard hear it called that as well. Its criteria is a consistent pattern of inhibited, emotionally withdrawn behavior towards adult caregiver manifested by the child rarely or minimally seeking comfort when distressed. Um, a persistent social and emotional disturbance characterized by limited positive affect. Episodes of unexplained irritability, sadness, or fearfulness that are evident even during non-threatening action interactions with the caregiver, and then also for him, um, the child has experienced a pattern of extremes of insufficient care, as evidenced by at oh by evidence by social neglect or deprivation in the form of persistent lack of having basic emotional needs met for comfort, stimulation, and affection by caregiving adult. What you think about that? When you agree or not? I agree. And then for oppositional defiant disorder, which we did both agree on, we can go through the criteria quickly for what that is, which is a pattern of angry, irritable mood, argumentative, defiant behavior, or vindictiveness lasting at least six months, as as evidenced um, by symptoms for different criteria: um, angry or irritable mood. Uh, often touchy or easily annoyed, is often angry or resentful. Often deliberately uh, annoys others. To me, the example of that was when <laughs> she, the girl, was like, "Why every time you talk about a female, she got to be a a bitch, a hoe, or a hoochie?" And he was like, "Because that's what you are." <laughs> yeah, Y'all act like you ain't never had no barbecue before. The lazy eat Hoes got to eat, too. <laughs> Wait a minute, nigga. Who are you calling a hoe? I ain't no hoe. Oops. Sorry, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> hey, nigga, fuck you. <laughs> and then, um, vindictiveness, or having been spiteful or vindictive at least twice within the past six months. For me, I felt that that was representative um, when he caught up with the dudes that had killed Ricky and he got out of the car, went mm-hmm. all the way up to them, made dudes, like, shot him, made sure he was dead, made dudes shoot old- turn over so that he could shoot him in his face because mm-hmm. that is what he felt like he needed to do to be rectified for the the harm that was brought to him. He needed to be able to see dude and shoot him. Um, and I thought that it was funny that uh, Mad Dog and Dookie in the, was in the car like, what are you doing? Man, I'm on parole. Ain't this about a bitch? <laughs> <laughs> because right. they didn't understand it was like no we did it we got to get out of here and but Doughboy was such in that place where he was so hurt and and with the um ODD diagnosis of that vindictiveness that he needed to feel that retribution at another level and so that to me that's part of why he made Dude turn over oh yay we agree um who else who's next I was going to diagnose um Dookie because of his pacifier use. And I looked up, um, I didn't look up like uh, like a pacifier, I looked up thumb sucking. Um, And so any adults or like adolescents who who are thumb suckers um, usually have experienced childhood trauma. And so um, obviously the case of all the individuals in this particular neighborhood have experience some form of trauma in an, one way or another. And so I would diagnose Dookie with generalized anxiety disorder because of the um, of the pacifier. Mm, that's a good one. I didn't give du- Dookie a full-blown um, diagnosis, but I completely agree with the one that you just gave. But I did speak to um, his fixation at Freud's psychosocial oral stage of development. Yes. And so yeah. um, one of the theorist who is very popular in our field is Sigmund freud and he had psychosocial stages of development so basically how children grew into adults through certain developmental stages and he to me was at an oral fixation so that means that he didn't get through that stage successfully so he he was fixated on seeking pleasure from his mouth because when he wasn't sucking on a path of fire he was sucking on a 40 ball so mm-hmm. <laughs> which is common for people who have that It could um Represent as constantly needing something in their mouth or overeating or um, alcoholism. Mm-hmm. So That's those what, things kind of went hand to hand. Yeah, I was actually looking to see, um, I was looking in the uh, eating and the feeding and eating disorders. Um, but then I also thought maybe it would be in the compulsive disorder um, section. Uh, but I couldn't find anything as far as like um, the chewing. Of mm-hmm. it. so if that's one thing I would look at like want to see in like the future DSM is to include other um oral as- asphyxiation like um not asphyxiation no, not- not- <laughs> 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 delete 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 that delete <laughs> Uh, oral fixation. You can't keep saying his name every time you mess up. Some stuff we are keeping it. it is okay to mess up and keep going. No, it is not. I don't want yes, that it in there. No. Um, so, <laughs> uh, oral fixation on, um, uh, for like, you know, chewing. Um, I think nail biting is on there, but I don't know. So. And that oral fixation, Freudian says, it's like, um, it comes from Uh, like a certain level of dependence on the caregiver. I wanted to know more about the oral stage of um, or the fixation at the oral stage, because like, does it also, do you also want that from others? Like the fact that he did offer his pacifier to Trey, the fact that he does have, he is um, getting hit from hypes. Like, so is oral sex a part of receiving and giving oral sex? Is that a part of, um, is there some level of satisfaction that comes from that? If you do have a fixation at the oral stage, do you do want other people to have shared that in in that fixation with you? Like, so do you want to share the bottle that you're drinking on? Do you want to share your pacifier, what it is that you are sucking on, or whatever it is that is in your mouth? Um, I just wanted to know if that like went hand in hand with it, and that is why he saw or saw so much pleasure in getting head from pipes. Because why else would you want to get head from pipes? Because that's nasty. I guess, girl, your your theory, stick to it, girl. Okay, what if's? All right, who's next? <laughs> that's who's next? I don't know. I did I did two. Those were my oh, two. Okay. Well then I have several more. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> I diagnosed. Um well I have two that I wanted to work through with you and talk about and get your opinion on. So for uh Brenda Baker, I mm-hmm. have either um a moderate uh, severity of persistent depressive disorder, is also known as dysthymia, with mixed features um, intermittent with major depressive episodes, or borderline personality disorder. Which one do you think is more fitting? Depressive. Okay, so the dysthymia, I'll go ahead and read the um, criteria for that one. So that is a disorder that is, um represents a consolidation of defined chronic major depressive disorder and dysthymic disorder and so that which sounds like a lot but it basically has um for her there would be present presence while depressed of uh low self-esteem feelings of hopelessness um, during a two-year period and so I was one I definitely felt like she kind of felt hopeless in her situation um and was depressed most of the time, and that came out in her irritableness towards um, towards Doughboy and just, just being mean, period, because she was like... So tell me something. How come your daddy don't come over here and play cards with us no more? I don't know. I know he don't think he's better than the rest of us. <laughs> Must be too busy shooting at people. I heard what happened over that other night. He <laughs> still got that same girlfriend? So to me, that went with the low self-worth as well. And with the mixed features that would be the more talkative than usual or pressure to keep talking. And that reminded me of when Furious was like, Brenda might have had a chance if she ain't talk so much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the um the flight of ideas or subjective experience that thoughts are racing because even when she was fussing at um Doughboy it seemed to just be coming out of nowhere and bouncing to different places like and where are you going you fat fuck you ain't got no job oh that was so (laughs) deep but (laughs) (laughs) you just wanted to get away from you because you're cursing at him (laughs) jesus And I just thought that, it just, just, I felt so bad for Dope Boy because of those experiences that he had and then seeing how she did treat Ricky. Like when the the recruiter came, they was wearing matching outfits. I know. (laughs) I didn't notice it before, but then this time when I watched it, I was like, oh shit, they actually were matching shirts or like matching colors. And then for her, I wanted to know if you thought that Like, so for because of the the differences in the treatment of the children, because she felt about the fathers, do you feel that she was really in love with Doughboy's father and he broke her heart and really broke her? And so she then grew to hate him and then was just okay with Ricky's father. So she loved him more. Or do you feel that um, she just didn't like uh, Doughboy's father and Ricky's father? She liked a little bit more. Like, which one do you feel like would be more impactful for you to treat your children so differently? I would think that he like he must have done something really bad to hurt her. I think mm-hmm. it's coming from a place of hurt.
1: Mm-hmm. Not so
0: much like um a hate. Is that def- he definitely hurt her. Like yeah. he might be happily married with someone. Like Ooh. you know. Yeah. You know. The displacement of the of that hurt oh, exactly. and hurt people, hurt people. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Which is sad. Um, I diagnosed uh, Officer Coffee, and Mm. I feel like all sellout Black people, all self-hating Black people, I just assume that they all have dissociative identity disorder. Um, I feel like they can't Handle the the weight of being black in America, and so they dissociate and they create these other self hating identities where they feel like they are above their blackness and they get to just terrorize and be evil to black people because they can't handle being black themselves. You think you're tough, you think you're tough, huh? Oh, <laughs> you're scared now, I like that why I took this job oh, I hate little motherfuckers like you thank you, little niggas you, ain't sh- you, think you, you blow you your head word. off of this niggas. um I hate officer coffee everything that he stands for and I also brought him into prognosis <laughs> wow <laughs> well for me um I'm thinking when you mentioned that uh Officer Co- coffee, um, it made me think about so the interaction he had with with Trey where he had him um, at gunpoint and you know, to me I'm like, don't you recognize this kid? Don't don't you remember him? No, you probably want to enroll in sixties, huh? huh? You know, yeah. like and um I wonder like if he would have shot him if he remembered him. Or if that would have been a different interaction had he... But that's all I re- that's all I wanted to say. It was no, just interesting hate- that they had another interaction again. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that... That's that's what makes it so hurtful. Mm-hmm. Is that people... I think society as a whole says that they love Black children when they're small, but they don't love them once they become Black adults. Yeah, and yeah, I think that that's so ugly. And one thing that I hated that Officer Coffee said to him was... You blow your head off with this and you couldn't do shit. How you feel now? I hated that. That was ugly. Yeah, and that, that is what it feels like sometimes. And mm-hmm. being Black in America is that they could do anything to a Black person's body and there's nothing that most of us can do about it. You know, that's what it feels like. And that's where that... That hopelessness comes in, um, you know, or helplessness is like we feel I feel sometimes helpless when I see the continuing like black and brown, the shooting of black and brown bodies by police officers, because it's like I feel like I'm helpless. I can't. There's nothing I can do about it. So I definitely understand. Fuck officer coffee. Um, so going forward. <laughs> um I felt that Ricky had an unhealthy exclusive athletic and fatherhood identity I felt like he only saw himself as an athlete and as a father and no other in, in 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 no other form and I felt that that was unhealthy for him um and I felt like it is partial partially what contributed to his death because he was Even at doing like people always say, oh, Ricky could could run a good 40. Like, why didn't he zigzag? And why didn't he like he was an athlete? How did he end up in his situation? And I felt like off the field, even those athletic skills seem to leave him like he wasn't. Doughboy was kind of whooping on him (laughs) when they was fighting. So for Ricky to be Mm -hmm. the strong athlete, Doughboy and his chubby self is still like kind of. He's the one who's on top and you're on the ground. If mm-hmm. you watch when um after he gets bumped uh by the by the other gang mm-hmm. and he's like, I'm still trying to figure out nigga, whatever. And then they come back and start shooting, mm-hmm. Ricky falls,
1: gets yeah. up
0: runs the opposite direction of the car out of this, like, (laughs) out of the view of the camera, runs back in, like, gets up, runs back in, and then goes to the car. So it's like, Ricky just wasn't off of the field. He was not together. Um, (laughs) And then, then, like, he had these series of bad decisions, like, uh, I'm going to pee right now. Like, right now is the time where I should pee. And then let's split up. And then I'm going to run straight. Like, I'm not going to get against the wall. I'm not going to lay down. Like, I'm not going to do any of those things. I'm just going to run straight. It just just felt like he couldn't make while he could make quick um, decisions on the field. He could not make those quick decisions in life. And so I felt like him seeing himself only as an athlete and only as a father um, was kind of detrimental to him. Um, because there were so many other things that he could have been. He, for instance, he didn't see himself as a student. And so that's why he didn't feel like going to college was even an option towards the end of the movie. He said, I'm just going to go to the Army. Which I feel like is part of strategic ad placement. If you do pay um attention, especially after 9-11, they use that um they use that competitiveness, that athletic the athleticism, that um sense of tribalness that comes from watching sporting events. And there are a lot of military um advertising that happens during sports games to try to play off of people's emotions to get them to see themselves as uh soldiers or at, or in the military to try to as for recruitment strategies, which I feel like is insidious and that's evil and you're playing people to get them to risk their lives for you. But, you know, that, that's what this country do. So, you know, there's um, <laughs> that. And Trey reminds him what his dad taught him, that black men ain't got no place in the white man's army. Mm. So I did not diagnose uh, Trey with a full on disorder, but I did diagnose him with being a fuck boy. <laughs> Why? because <laughs> despite having um good foundation good parenting good direction um for his life he is like uh Lawrence from our episode on insecure where he's the worst kind of fuckboy boy because he thinks he's a good dude um, um he yeah. was very manipulative towards Brandy he was giving her the silent treatment he was trying to manipulate her towards having sex with him which was not what you're supposed to do for somebody that you care about and then I felt like because he was so spoiled um from like even furious Mm -hmm. talked about how his mother was spoiling Mm -hmm. spoiling him and that's something that you have to be very careful with when you spoil your children because they can that can lead to a sense of entitlement and he was afraid to have sex but then felt like okay well I'm ready now so Brandy should be giving it to me like Mm -hmm. I deserve it now because I'm ready for it I wasn't ready for it before, so I didn't need it then. But now that I'm ready, you should just be giving it to me because you're my girlfriend. And mm-hmm. had her going against her morals and what she felt like was right. Um, and then was even trying to say, well, we're going to get married. So it's almost like we married now. And then she was like, okay, i are going to wear my ring. I ain't ready for that yet. Like, <laughs> <Wait>, excuse me? <laughs> like, why are you getting so... <laughs> i ain't ready for all that yet take it that exactly i'm not ready for all that since you ain't ready for all that exactly and that's what she said to him like oh but you ready to act like we marry huh and so i felt like there was that i felt like he was very um he picked and chose when he wanted to be a good friend to ricky like yeah he was supporting him and telling him like you don't have no place in the white man's army he was down to stick up for him when uh Ice Cube or Doughboy, Goon. we got a problem here. Like, Trey was right with him. We going to stick up for Ricky. You not going, mm-hmm. you know, pump my homeboy. And then, but I felt like Ricky got in the car and told him the recu- the recruiter from USC is coming tonight. That is big news. That, especially for someone who is in high school, who this is his out, this is his chance to get out of the hood and everything. And he has this big school that is interested in him and is coming to his house that night. And Trey just was like, oh, yeah. Anyway, I never lied to my father before because I was scared that I'm a virgin. Let's talk about my problems. (laughs) Be happy for me. And then he was like, oh, I was scared and, and, and. Ricky being a good friend, it was like, well, what was you scared of? Like, yeah, he thinks it's funny, but he's still like, what is you scared of? And then he said, being a daddy. That is so insensitive. You gonna say that to this boy who was a teenage father? I mean, but it's a real thing, though. I mean, yes, it's a real thing. And yes, he got it, but it's the way he said it. I just felt like Trey just wasn't a good friend. He wasn't a good boyfriend. And I hope that him becoming a Morehouse man, they shaped mold to him into a better guy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I felt there. that I felt like he was very like high um, he had, had real high emotionality and I felt like we saw that throughout the film I felt like he didn't know how to control his emotions when he was younger so he did seek to fighting Like because even the rude teacher was like he's very smart he's very capable he just has these angry outbursts and I felt like because he didn't know how to control his emotions then and then when, once he got older it came out as him crying and throwing punches in the air <laughs> I'm so fucking tired of this I thought it was funny. I, I was laughing at it. <laughs> I did too. After no, The first time, like when I was younger, younger, I used to be like, oh, he's so hurt. I felt like how Brandy felt. But then afterwards it got funny and continues to get funnier each time that I watch it. But I feel like that speaks to his high emotionality. And I felt like um, Brandy in that moment did not know how else to like she saw that pain that he was experiencing. And I feel like she didn't know how else to offer support aside from offering up sex. And I feel like that is something that happens a lot in um, interpersonal relationships is that person either through trauma bonding or through that person experiencing some level of pain and people really only knowing how to offer up their themselves physically through sex or through sexual acts to support that person. And I felt like that was, that came from one, a certain level of immaturity. And then two, her not knowing what that support looked like herself because she didn't have it. And so I just got me thinking down the rabbit hole of what does that support look like aside from offering sex? But as a teenager, would you even know that? Um, so prognosis, did you, how did you feel? How do you feel like uh, Reva and Furious will go forward? Um. I feel like they're going to continue to be to remain good friends and su- supportive of Trey, you know, throughout his life. Um, I just I like their relationship. I, li- I I think they they have an interesting um, relationship and communication style, you know, especially like when like he she was like, sit down. Like he was he was going to check her a- in the restaurant and then get up and leave. Sit your like, ass down. <laughs> she said all of the syllables. Excuse me, I'm going to get some cigarettes. No, you're not getting off that easy. Sit your ass down. Excuse me. I said sit your ass down before I raise my voice and make a fool out of both of us. And then said, and the coffee's on me. Like, oh, he, and she said you're a good guy, but you ain't all that. And see, no, what she said was, go ahead, and you say, be cute, but don't think you're special. You might be cute, but not special. Right. You might be cute, but not special. And I think that that is something Trey needs to be told um, (laughs) clearly. (laughs) But then I just, I think that that's what he needs. And it was kind of like that little smirk that he had, like, she's the only woman that could do that to him or say something like that to him, you know, Um, because in any other instance, he's come off as like the very educated, strong, like black man that like don't nobody like you know. What people look; people walked up to him to hear what he had to say when he was talking about well, what the gentrification that was happening in the in the neighborhood. Um, so to have him kind of not be—I guess I want—I don't want to say submissive, but just to kind of like you know listen and sit down shows that I think he has a lot of respect for her um, and they have a lot of respect for each other in their relationship. So I think they, they're they going to do well. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, um, well, I don't know what Reva was going to school for, but we saw that her apartment was laid. So after she got okay. her master, she must have had her a good load <laughs> Right? I said she got real bougie on us, didn't she? She was already bougie, but she got real, real bougie <laughs> after that degree. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like um, while they they got clearly got on each other's, they couldn't they could didn't work well as a couple anymore. They still, right. you know, had a little, little it was a little flirting in that, even in the arguments that they were having. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't feel like they necessarily ever get back together, but they still do always hold a candle for each other. Um mm-hmm. And I feel like co-parenting for them will get easier as Trey continues to get older, as um, I think Fur- Furious can help Reba let go a little bit because he mm-hmm. is going to be going to college. He is going to be making his more of his own decisions. And so I feel like he can um, help with that. And like you were saying, um, I hope good things for Furious because he was so aware of everything that was going on and talking about um, the gentrification that was happening and saying, like, we need to keep everything in our community black, you know, And just thinking of Ujamaa, which is the Kwanzaa principle of cooperative economics and really feeling like, yeah, you're you're right. That's what we as black folks do need to come together. We need to the same way that other ethnicities are able to keep money within their own community. that, That would be that is something that we need to strive to do. However, every time I think that I also get hung up on the fact that we've done that before multiple times. And every time that we do that, the U.S. government destroys it. Um, because they systemically are trying to kill us, like Furious also said when he said they wanna kill they want us to kill ourselves. Um, they aid in that as well. But the the one to one way to um, destroy a group of people is to take away their ability to reproduce themselves, which is something that we continue to see a- as well. Um, this video was just telling so many truths. It's so <laughs> it's truth, but it's hurtful. Um and I see Furious kind of getting away from, because Trey is getting older, I see him wanting to do more for others and his entire community as well. Because one thing that he said to Trey kind of stuck out to me was when um, Ricky died and Trey was going to go ride with them. He was like, I'm sorry about what happened to your friend. That's their problem. But you, my son, you, my problem. And so, well, I don't think he should have called him his problem. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I do think that Furious will start to see um, his entire community as his problem, and less of just I have to focus on my own. Now that his son is older, if Brandy was my client, she needs some assertive training, assertiveness training, and I hope that Spelman teaches her that. <laughs> I hope so too. Yeah, because she she let too many things go, mm-hmm. and was still trying to come after him. But I I when I was younger, I let a lot of dumb shit go that should have been <laughs> red flags but yeah she could use some some better communication skills for sure yeah um I'm hopeful for also I feel like Brenda needs to be put on a mood stabilizer ASAP (laughs) um after losing after losing Ricky and then two weeks later losing Doughboy too um I feel like that's a lot um yeah it just it just was yeah, I <laughs> feel like she definitely is going to need some grief and loss um, counseling because also she lost her her where she praises and her punching bag. And so it's like, is the baby mama going to continue to live with her? Um, because if so, then is that going to become the new dynamic for her? Is she going to then beat up on a baby mom but praise the grandson? Like, so I need to know what that, what that would look like. And is, um, the baby mom, her name was Shanice. Like if she do stay there, she, cause she took the SAT too. So is she going to go to college and just stay there long enough for her to finish school and get help with the baby so that she can leave? Um, I don't know, take her maybe a, a course or two so she can get certified in something and get up out of there. Um, and my, my officer, Coffee. Uh, he got turned over to internal investigations because of all of the terrible policing that he was doing, and his partner snitched on him because he's still black, uh, <laughs> and so he ends up doing time. The inmates become aware that he is former LAPD, and then he's forced to create a third identity in order for him to survive and cope with all of the stuff that the inmates do to him. <laughs> they was whooping that ass. What do you see? Well. Dope boy, I felt like even though he did die two weeks later, I felt like we also saw him go through like the five stages of grief for Ricky, like within 24 hours. I feel like um, he had that bargaining as soon as he said, like, shit, Rick, I got to get there because if I get there fast enough, then he won't die. Like it, it'll be okay, um, and then I the sadness when he saw him um, on the ground and like was holding his head. I think then he went to the denial of let's take him home. Why are we taking him home? That's the same thing. I, I said why, and they put him on the couch. Put him on the couch. I said even with all the plastic on the couch, the couch still gonna get the blood stain. Mm-hmm. And that that, <laughs> that damn couch. That couch, and then there was so much blood. He was blood soaked by the time yes. they got him out of the car. Like why? And then one thing that was concerning to me when Trey got out the car, he's yo let me out. He went to the bus stop. No one was alerted that this man is covered in blood, getting on. Like even the man at the bus stop was just listening to his music, bopping along. Trey right. get out the car, soaked in blood, and he's just still bopping along. Like oh okay, like
1: what, what is what? going on
0: in this neighborhood that everyone is okay with it? <laughs> It's normal. People just walk around with blood like that all the time. Hmm. But then, yeah, I think though boy, he cycled back to sadness when, you know, trying to be there for his mom and she got upset with him. I think that pushed him into the anger place where they felt like they needed to ride on people for killing his brother. Um, and then that he had the retaliation. And then the next day got to a place of acceptance, like real quick when he was like, next thing you know, somebody might try to smoke me. Don't matter though, we all gotta go sometime. Seemed like they punched from the wrong clock on Rick, though, man. Like he had got to that place of acceptance within the next day, and I think that that is a testament to, granted, it's a movie, so they had to make it happen fast, but I also mm-hmm. think that it is a testament to how. Like black people aren't allowed the opportunity to really grieve and process things because we have to, there's so much, okay, the next thing, like this isn't stopping everything else that we have to take care of, that we have to get done, that we have to experience. So I don't have time to stay in this, in these feelings. I have to move on to the next thing. And so that can lead to maladaptive coping and everything, but it just was, he didn't even have time to fully process it. He just went through them whole things in 24 hours. Yeah, I mean, I feel I feel the same way. I feel like even sometimes with like police shootings, like for a minute, they were happening so frequently that I think for a while, America got real numb. And well, I'll say, I'll speak for myself. I got numb. And then it wasn't until Ahmaud Arbery where it was just like, I felt the gut hit again as it like as if it were the first time of me hearing the other times when those people were shot for the first time again, like it all happened again. And then it was just like this amount of anger and sadness. And then the, the, it frustrated me how quick I had to get over it because then it was another shooting. Mm -hmm. And then there was George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just kind of like, I don't, I don't, I guess I I understand why Doughboy, you know, was, was was like, okay, I have to move on because if you, if you grieve all of those individuals every single time, it's like you're like a piece of you is gone every single time. That's what it feels Mm -hmm. like. And it happens so much that eventually you'll lose yourself with all the people that are gone. Right. And like he was, grieving that at the same time of like going through the relationship with his mother he's like I don't even have a brother and then was like um a mother neither she loved that food more than she loved me like it's like he just came to had to Ooh, ooh, so heavy so heavy. it would have been heavy for him so I hate to say it but you know it, he would have either gotten killed or he would have killed himself with all the guilt and grief he oh had. no not killed himself I think so I don't want you to think that about my dough boy. Sorry. Which, can we talk about how they call him dough boy? <laughs> I know, like. His nickname was dough boy. <laughs> his nickname was dough boy. I wanted somebody just to push his belly, so he'd go, woo <laughs> <laughs> he it. He made it a nice name. He made it a thing. Yeah. Afterwards, it's because I get that dough boy, but when you was little, it's because you was fat, bro. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I... Did appreciate even though he was fat, and he, and he was like super young. He still was trying to stick up for his his brother when he got his ball took at the beginning. Yeah, of the movie yeah. by Sharif from Minister Society. <laughs> so I guess prognosis for that character was he was a game banger, was still a little boss from little kids, and then you know got knowledge itself and became Sharif from Minister Society. <laughs> That's what had happened. Yep, I felt that about a couple of the characters. I felt like Mad Dog, you know, he he rode on the people that killed Doughboy. So he got retaliation for Doughboy. Then, you know, he had to lay low and then he became a driver's ed instructor and was the dude from that he played in Don't Be a Menace to Society while drinking and juicing. So. <laughs> oh, makes sense. Okay, all right. You know, it was interesting because I was really surprised to see them walk in the street after they shot, you know, and killed the the three of those men. And like, and there's, you know, I don't know, I guess in my mind, I thought like they would have been arrested or like going through interrogation or something <laughs> at some point. Cause I mean, there was like a long period where people could identify the car and <laughs> the people that were screaming from it. So I was like, wow, like this is really easy investigation that, that's happening. They're going to be caught. So like two weeks later for him to be killed, I'm like, damn, well, I guess the police weren't quick enough. And like he said, they don't care and they don't hear what happened in the hood. So it's like, I didn't even say it right. That ain't no. That's why I'd be like, why you got me saying quotables and you know I can't quote nothing for shit? Because you're supposed to at least write them down. That long Either they don't know don't or they don't show. show. No, yeah. no, see, no, that's not all of it. That's what you... You you get what the heck I said. All right. Either they don't know... Don't don't show. show. I don't care about what's going on in the hood. And on that note... (laughs) Trey, okay, let's wrap it up. What do you feel like a prognosis for Trey is? I think um, his prognosis would be... ah. I don't know what Trey's passion was. It's hard to know what he wanted to do because I know um, Ricky wanted to go into business or computer science, but I don't know what Ricky's, I mean, what Trey's interest was. But anyway, um, I would see him being successful. I don't think that he's going to marry or be with Brandy. I hope not. At least not right away. They both need to grow. But that was the goal, remember? And so... To, that's to just get what you're saying, to get them dropped really off. I them. know, that's so true. Yeah, I see him being the fuck boy, still still being very much like <laughs> his daddy. His like, you know, just being a, a bachelor for the for his whole life. The end, that's my prognosis. Well, I feel like hopefully while at Morehouse, Trey does, you know, get a little bit more self-awareness. I think he could use some um, empathy building on how like his actions impact others. I hope that he does not get married to Brandy right away. I hope that they like continue to support each other because they are in a new city together going to college at the same time um that they come back together later on in life for a relationship okay maybe but right away no because of this trauma bond that they share and he just was a fuck boy to her i hope that i want to know if he potentially has future survivor's guilt because of the situation with ricky witnessing him Mm. pass, hope like ricky dying in his arms and so he might necessarily he might um need therapy for that i think i would probably use maybe narrative therapy Um, or expressive therapy, just something so that he can get those feelings out and learn how to uh, regulate his emotions in a more healthy way because that is something that he struggled with for a very long time. Um, And since it is autobiographical, in my mind, I feel like he will, like John Singleton, find his way in creating content or media and be a successful young man and help Furious give back to the hood. I just wanted to point out, lastly, that one question that they got asked, like, at three different points in the movie. Um, At the very beginning of, y'all want to see something? And then it was the the crime scene. And then y'all want to see a dead body? Mm -hmm. And it being, you know, yeah, see, he like, he ain't messing with you, so don't fuck with him. And that just being a normal thing. And then uh, Furious later on asking them, like, y'all boys want to see something? And that was the only time where they were kind of like, do we have a choice? But it was the one time that it was something positive. Mm. Um, And so just the experiences that are and the choices that you have growing up in the hood and the different avenues that you could take where you could have bad influences, bad influences with the kids showing them stuff that they probably shouldn't see or have good influences with furious dropping knowledge and dropping jewels and gems on them um, to take them forward. All right. So if you would like to support the show to help us get more content out to you guys, you can visit our website and follow the support the show link to become a Patreon member or donate on our cash app. Now we're happy to get the kind of money that jingles, but we'd rather the kind that folds. And as always, be sure to subscribe to our show wherever you get podcasts and leave us a comment because we are counselors and we actually care what you have to say. Until next time. Peace. Okay, bye.